Tech is the least, thank, it's the thank, most thankless job we have because you only get noticed in the tech department when you do something wrong, but our tech team is fantastic. They do a great job, and I love them, and, um, and so I'm grateful for all those guys, and um, even though she put a tight shot right on my abdomen, that's all right. <laughs> it's great to see you. Uh, my name is Mel. And I'm one of the pastors here at the Summit, and I just want to say thank you for worshiping with us today, and thank you for being here. I want to welcome those of you that are watching online as well at summittogether.com. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day. Wherever you are and however you're joining us today, I just want to say thanks. And uh, I appreciate you making time in your day to worship with us and make us a part of your day. Uh, let me tell you about a couple things real quickly, housekeeping things before we move forward. Uh, the first thing is uh, that our new service times, I had people coming this morning saying, I thought today was the new service times. And no, it's, it's two weeks from today. So August the 31st, we're starting new service times. They're going to be 9.30 and 11 a.m. So if you're accustomed to being here at 11.30, just know you got to ratchet that back half hour. So 9.30 and 11 a.m. are our new service times starting on the 31st. And then tonight, uh, we've got a membership encounter. We do these every couple months, but it's for anyone who is new to the summit, or maybe you've been coming to the summit for a while and you just want to find out more information uh, about who we are and where we're going. Uh, maybe you want to become a member. This is the way to do that. If you are interested in finding out opportunities to serve, this is how you do that. So come join us tonight from 5 to 7 p.m. It's up in our youth room. So if you, you can come through these main doors and come through the kids wing around to the elevator, take the elevator up, or if you want to park over here on the side or in the back, you can come in the office doors and come up the stairs there and We'd love to have you. We're going to have food. We've got child care available. So if you're going to be here and you need that, just RSVP in the info center before you leave today and we'll get you squared away. But we would love to see you tonight. Our staff, uh, my wife, some of our spouses, we're going to be around and we'll answer questions, connect with you just to get to know you a little more and uh, connect you to what God is doing here at the summit. So uh, please come hang out with us this evening if you're interested in that. We, uh, we finished a series last week on Philippians. And if you, uh, if you weren't here for that, um, then you missed the last two months of church, apparently. But um, we're, we're starting a new series today, and the series is called Promised Land. And it's a, it's a shorter series. It's only three weeks. But I'm really excited about this series. I think it has the potential to really impact you and your family. Uh, and I told my wife last night, I'm kind of disappointed because I think my favorite message in this series that I'm going to preach is going to be week three. And it's going to be Labor Day weekend, so uh, the people who need to hear it will be here. If you're gone, if you're going to be on vacation uh, for Labor Day weekend, I give you permission, no problem, don't feel bad about taking vacation, but you have to promise me, while you're riding your Sea-Doo or you're out on the lake or wherever you're at, you've got your iPad or your iPhone, you're watching the sermon online while we're doing it. You have to commit to do that, and you can go on vacation. Um, but we'll, um, it's going to be a great message, and... That sounded really arrogant, didn't it, when I said it like that? Not because of that. I, I told somebody before service, they said, man, your message really ministered to me after the last one. And I just said, hey, listen, I've never preached a message that was for anybody but me. I've never written a message that I thought, oh, these people are going to get a lot out of it. I, but I've written lots and lots of messages that I thought, oh, gosh, man, God's really dealing with me on this and this and this and this. Because every message that I share with you is a message that, that God is dealing with me in some form or fashion about. And so I'm excited about these next few weeks of messages just because of what God is dealing in my heart, not just what he's going to do in yours, but what he's doing in mine as well. When we look at the, the word promised land, it kind of evokes a lot of different thoughts. And biblically speaking, the promised land was not just a location. It wasn't just a geographic place that, that we can point to on a map. 
But for many Jews throughout history, the promised land, it represented something so much bigger than just a place on a map. It, was, it really represented God's covenant with them. It really represented God's assurance to them that no matter what happened, that God is going to be faithful to them. And I'm thankful that God does the same thing with us, that he is faithful to us. He shows his love and his care for us throughout time. And so when we look at the promised land, we're not just talking about geographic location, but I truly believe that God has a divine promise for each of us as individuals. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, if we are Christians, then I truly believe God's got a divine promise for you. And there are corporate promises that I think we share in together, but then there are individual promises that I think God is speaking to you about, that God's got a destiny and a purpose and a plan. He's got a promise for you that's out in front of you. And it's up to you whether you will walk in that promise or not, that whether you will encounter that blessing and that promise that God's got for your life. Uh, and so that's what I want us to look at a little bit today. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the obstacles to reaching God's promise for our lives. So we're going to look at some people who never, ever made it to God's promise and look at some of the things that kept them from getting there. Because all of us have a promise for our life. And I don't think there's anybody in the room, if I asked you to raise your hand, I am going to ask you to raise your hand. Raise your hand and tell me, is there anybody that wants to walk in God's promise for your life, that wants God's best for your life? Okay, yeah, a couple people. Okay. But I would also say that there are obstacles that keep us from doing that. That's why a lot of us are not living up to God's best for our lives, because of those obstacles. So we're going to look at those, we're going to talk those through, and we're going to work through that over the next few weeks. Let's look first at Genesis chapter 15. And this is kind of the basis for God's promise. This is the Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham. This is what it says in Genesis 15, 18. It says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rapham, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites. Don't you think the Rapham kind of felt bad because they weren't the Raphamites? That's... Everybody else, they got night, but not the Rapham. So what did God say to Abram? He said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to give you all this land. This is for you. This is the promise I'm giving you, hence the name promised land. And so he said, it's not just going to be for you. It's going to be for future generations. Even today, why is there war going on in, in Israel and in that area? Because at the end of the day, it's a turf war in a lot of ways. It's, it's, Two people are in conflict over land, over ideologies, over all kinds of things. We won't get into the politics of that. But at the end of the day, the people of Israel are still struggling for that piece of property. And not just for that piece of property, but for the promise that they know that they have from God. And so we see this conflict even going on today because it harkens back to this very promise. And when you look, um, the problem of, of not walking in God's promise is not unique to us. It's been going on throughout Scripture. And so what we're going to look at today is, is reflected, I think, best in this passage of Scripture. Let me read this to you. It's Genesis chapter 11. I'll start in verse 27. Now, I'm just going to warn you, the first part is a little bit boring. And uh, if I offended you because I said the Bible was boring, you have never read Leviticus, apparently. So <laughs> some of it's boring. I'm just being honest with you, but it's still God's Word. So Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, it says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Ur of the Chaldeans 
is uh, modern-day Iraq. That's where Iraq is today. And Abraham, and I'm sorry, and Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren, she had no child. Now this is setting up the story because we're being introduced to Abram at this point. And Abram, God changes his name to Abraham. He becomes a, a patriarch of the Jewish and, and um, the Christian faith. And um, so he, he's a big deal. But we're not going to look at Abraham's life. We're looking at the life of Terah, his father. And verse 31 says, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandsons, daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. Now I want to stop right there for a second. Now what it's saying is they're going to the land of Canaan. And Canaan is God's promised land. So we went back, we, we talked about the Abrahamic covenant, and God had Abraham and he said, all this land is yours. And the land that he was talking about was Canaan. So if you rewind that story back to Terah. Terah is the father. He's taking his family and they're going, they're leaving their home and they are going to Canaan. They're going to the promised land. That's exciting, right? We're, we're going on a journey. We're going to the promised land. Here we go. Who's ready? We're loading up. But this is what it says. They go to the land. They were going to the land of Canaan, but when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Now, Terah was taking his family to the promised land, to Canaan, but Scripture tells us he settled in Haran instead, and he died when he was 205. That's not bad. That's pretty good, right? 205. <laughs> but what would the story have looked like, I wonder, if he would have made it to Canaan? I mean, we really don't know anything about Terah other than he was the father of Abraham. But what if he had gone to Canaan like he'd originally had in mind instead of settling. And see, the problem of settling isn't just with Terah. The truth is a lot of us settle in our walks. We settle in our walk with God. We settle in our lives. Uh, some of you are sitting next to your spouse and you're thinking, I know all about settling, right? And there's counseling for you, okay? We can help you with that. Um, but we settle all the time. I, I told our staff the other day, have you guys ever, have you ever worked a long day or maybe you had something going on and you just didn't, maybe you didn't have time to eat or maybe you ate something real quick on the go and you're on your way home maybe after a long day and you're thinking, man, when I get home, I'm going to fix a big old sandwich, a hoagie, I'm going to, you know, or I'm, I'm going to grill chicken, I'm going to cook, I'm going to do something that's good, fulfilling and, you know, right what I want, it's going to hit the spot, right? You have this in mind, but you start passing fast food places. You pass McDonald's, and you're like, eh, I'm not interested in McDonald's. You go a little further, and KFC, you see, you know, you start seeing restaurants. You see Taco Bell. Eh, I'll swing by Taco Bell. You pull into Taco Bell. Why do we like Taco Bell? Because it's cheap, and it's easily accessible. Like, has anybody ever eaten Taco Bell that at the end of the meal, you finish with Taco Bell, and you're like, that was fantastic. Feel good, right? Nobody does. <laughs> I'm going to pray for you. I need the elders to come forth. Let's pray for him. <laughs> Nobody, maybe, maybe you just don't eat as much as I do when I eat at Taco Bell, because I'm like, 89 cents for a burrito, I'll have 10. Um, but you finish Taco Bell, and it's like regret-filled. I, I posted one time on Twitter or Facebook or something, I said, regret thy name is Taco Bell, because I've never eaten Taco Bell. And at the end, I was like, man, I'm so glad I ate that. Woo, feel good. Because at the end, I'm always like, oh, my back hurts. Like, what is going on? Like, something's wrong. 
And what I did was I settled. I said, you know what, I can go home and fix a good meal. I can go home and grill chicken and, you know, grill vegetables, and that'll be good. But, man, it's going to take me a while. It's going to, you know, it's going to take me effort and energy. I could stop in Taco Bell, and it's cheap and it's quick. I can have that burrito eaten before I leave the parking lot. Like, I'm pulling out of the drive-thru, like, finishing it off. So what have I done? Well, I've settled. And I think within each of us, there's a deep longing in our soul for something more but we find ourselves settling because it's cheaper and more accessible than what we believe God is, what we believe God's promise is for our life. I believe God's got a spectacular promise for each of you in this room. But the truth is, many of us say, I'll settle for Taco Bell. I know God's got this for me, but this is easier. So this is what we're going to do. And this longing that's within our soul is what we're going to be talking about. What are the obstacles that keep us from really living out the life that God dreamed for us to live. So we see Terah settled, but he's not the only one. In Numbers chapter 32, we'll pick up the story there of the children of Israel. They had left Egypt. Moses had led them out of Egypt, out of captivity. They were uh, in the wilderness. They hadn't gone to the promised land yet, and they were, they were basically looking at the promised land. And this is where we'll pick it up in Numbers chapter 32, verse 1. It says, now the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock, and they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place for livestock. So the people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and said to Moses and Eliezer and the priests and the chiefs of the congregation, and I'm not going to read all their names because I'll mess them up and you'll just make fun of me. Verse 4 says, and the land of the Lord, the land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. And they said, if we found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. So these are people who the promised land has been deep, like ingrained deep within them. They've been talking about it through captivity in Egypt, through their, the exodus out of Egypt. They've been talking about the promised land. It was a comfort to them. When they were literally slaves, they would say, just wait, someday we're going to be in the promised land. God hasn't forgotten about us yet. God's got something greater for us. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Don't worry. It's not going to be like this forever. And they would encourage each other with this idea that they're going to the promised land. And they are literally on the doorstep of the promised land. And they say to Moses, you know what, we've been thinking about it. And we're going to stay here instead. Is that cool? Like, we know the promised land is right across the Jordan. We know it. But this land is good for grazing and cattle and herds, and we've got cattle and herds, so why don't we just stay here? What they were saying is, this is good enough. We don't need whatever's beyond the Jordan. We don't need what's over there because this is fine. Can you imagine? Does anybody do a Christmas Eve gift for your kids? Like, you've got all the gifts under the tree, and like they've been begging you and go, okay, you can open one gift, but I get to pick it. You ever do that? We do at our house sometimes. And do you know what I always pick if I'm picking? Socks. <laughs> that one's for you, Missy. And they tear it open, and they're, oh, yay, socks, or pajamas, just what I've been wanting, right? <laughs> now, can you imagine if I hand my daughter the package, and she tears it open, and she goes, socks! I've always been one socks. You know what? I don't even need the rest of the gifts under the tree. This is good enough. I love it. But there's more gifts. They're right there. They're, they're, 
You've got other stuff, better stuff. And like, no, 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 this is good enough. I can't even see what's in there, but I can see this, so I'll take it. And as absurd as it is for an 8-year-old or an 11-year-old or 12-year-old now to say, I'll settle for the socks, this is how absurd it was for the children of Israel to say, we'll take this land instead of going into God's promise. The thing we've been talking about and, and praying about and singing about and encouraging each other about for hundreds of years, meh, we don't need it. We're fine right here. And they settled. They said, this is good enough. And I love Moses' response because he, um, he was not tactful. He was not much of a politician. But this is what Moses says in verse 6. He says, but Moses said to the people of Gad and to the people of Reuben, shall your brothers go to war while you sit here? Why will you discourage the heart of the people of Israel from going over into the land that the Lord has given them? Your fathers did this when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea into, uh, to the, see the land. And so they went out to spy the land. And when they did, they sent 12 spies in. Ten of them came back and said it's, fantastic. I mean, said it's horrible. And two said it's fantastic, we love it. And because of that, they had to wander in the, in the wilderness. And verse 9 says... For when they went up to see the valley of the skull and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the people of Israel from going into the land that the Lord had given them. Verse 10 says, And the Lord's anger was kindled on that day, and he swore, saying, Surely none of the men who came up out of Egypt from 20 years old and upward shall see the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, not except Caleb and Joshua, for they have wholly followed me. He just lays it out. He just is point blank and he's direct with them. And he says, you know what? This reminds me of your fathers. This reminds me of your grandfathers who never got to see the promised land, who are never going to be able to enter in. The reason they weren't able to is because of their disobedience, because they were unwilling to do what God was asking them to do. I think we have a lot in common with the children of Israel, more than we'd like to admit. And today we're going to look at a few of those things. I think one of the reasons the children of Israel settled and one of the reasons we settle is because of comfort. We settle because we're comfortable. We have that good enough mindset. Well, hey, this is good enough. This isn't that bad. I can get used to this. I mean, sure, it's not God's best, but hey, I got everything I need. And that's kind of the mindset the children of Israel had. Let's look at chapter 32, verse 4. It says, the land, the, the land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Coincidence. It has everything we need. Why would we even bother going into the promised land? Because we have everything we need right here. And when we have that mindset, we never fully walk into God's promise for our lives. When we say, you know what, this is pretty good, I can live with this. We will never, ever experience God's best for your life. When you have the idea that it's too hard You know, you're probably going to get sick of me saying this, but I tell our staff, and I've told our board, and I've said this to, in, in here a few times, but God doesn't call us to do easy things. He calls us to do hard things because the great things that God calls us to do are always hard, and they're never easy. If they were easy, everyone would do great things for God. God calls us to do hard things because God's promises often lie on the other side of hard things. So what do we need to do? We need to say, God, I'm not going to be resistant to doing difficult things anymore. I'm going to not just take the, the easy path, I'm going to take the hard path because that's where your promises lie. I don't normally recommend business books 
uh, and I read quite a few, but one of my favorite that I've ever read was a book by a guy named Jim Collins. He wrote a book called Good to Great. And if you, I mean, really, there's application for lots of different areas of life. And so I would encourage you, if you, um, if you are a reader, pick up that book and read it. It's got a lot of good application. One of my favorite things that he says in that book is he says that good is the enemy of great. That we make good choices all the time, but good choices aren't the problem. And let me give you an example. Have you ever been thinking to yourself, what am I going to do today? You know, I think I'm going to strangle somebody. Yeah, that's a good idea. I'm going to strangle somebody. No, you know what? No, I shouldn't do that. Yeah, okay, I'm not going to do that. Now, if you ever have had that thought, we need to talk. There's probably some issues, okay? Security. Um, But we don't struggle with that kind of mindset. We don't struggle with that thinking. What do we struggle with? We struggle with, should I do a good thing or should should I do a better thing? And to put it in Colin's terminology, should I do a good thing or should I, should I do a great thing? And that's where we struggle in our thinking at times. Should I do this, which is perfectly valuable, or should I do this, which is better? And, and that's where struggles in churches come in sometimes, where conflict happens because they go, well, why would we stop doing that program? There's nothing wrong with that program. You're like, well, yeah, you're right. It's not bad. It's just not great. Does that make sense? So sometimes we have to sacrifice the good in order to get the great in our lives. Sometimes we have to say, you know what, this relationship is not terrible, it's not unhealthy, but it's not helping me get to where God wants me to be. Sometimes we have to say, you know what, I'm going to lay this good thing down so that I can walk in God's best for my life, so I can walk in the great. Does that make sense? Good is the enemy to great when we're talking about God's promises for our lives. I told somebody after church, we were, we were talking about this, and I told them, I said, Jesus didn't come to make us comfortable. He came to give us an abundant life. One of my favorite passages of scripture is John 10, 10. He says, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. When we settle because we're comfortable, we never walk in that abundance. We never walk in that, that promise that God's got for us. We will always have good enough. And good enough is not good enough. That's not what God wants for our lives. So sometimes we settle because of comfort, because it's what we know, because of what we're comfortable with. Sometimes we settle because of fear. Numbers chapter 32, verses 8 and 9, Moses recounts, and I've spent a little bit of time there reading it through, but he recounts what had happened before. He said, hey, we sent the spies in, and what happened? Ten of them came back and said, we shouldn't go. It's horrible. It's terrible. We're going to get squashed. They were the... the descendants of Anak, giants, and we're going to get killed. Why would we even bother going in? But then two, Caleb and Joshua said, we got this. Why would we even hesitate? Let's go. This is ours. God promised it to us. Let's go take it. Why did the 10 say, no, we're going to get squashed? Well, they were afraid. They were realists, right? These guys are big. We are small. We're not going to make it. They were afraid of the consequences. What's going to happen if we go in there and we start tooting our horn, we start acting like big men, and they're going to squash us? <laughs> we'll be dead and embarrassed. And for men, it's almost as bad to be embarrassed as it is to be dead, I think. So we don't want to do that, right? They said, we are afraid. We don't want to mess with that. Yeah. One of my favorite sayings, it's a German proverb, and it says, fear makes the wolf bigger than it is. So what fear does in our lives, 
begins to, to shade everything we see and doesn't change reality or doesn't change God's promise for our life. It just changes the way we see God's promise for our life. Does that make sense? So what happens is we've got God's promise in front of us and we go, okay, God, this is pretty good. This is how I want to live. But then that fear rises up and that obstacle comes up. And what happens is we begin to take a step toward it in our faith and all of a sudden it seems huge. Have you ever seen pictures where it looks like somebody is holding somebody in their hand it's just forced perspective because really they're in the background. It's not that they're in the hand. It just, they just look smaller than they really are. When you get things in the right perspective, you begin to see things clearly. And so when we put God in the right perspective, we understand that nothing we're afraid of is bigger than God. Nothing we're afraid of is, is bigger than his capability or his promise for our life. But what happens is that fear begins to look bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of a sudden his promises for our life are shaded in a way that maybe they don't look nearly as good as they used to because of this fear. You know, one of the things I love is that um, God takes time to walk us through our fear, if we're willing to let him. He will gently um, walk us through that and, and hold our hands. And, and I, I had a, the church we came from, there was this, um, this big meeting room right next to our offices. And so I always parked on that side of the building. And what I would do is I would walk out of my offices and a lot of times I would be the last one out. And so I'd turn off the lights on the way out and we'd walk this big dark room and you know the lights would be out and all you'd see is this little crack of light underneath the outside door. And so a lot of times my girls would be with me on a Wednesday night or something. And it was amazing what would happen because it didn't matter. We've been through there 50 times, 100 times. My girls knew it was going to happen. But every single time that door would close behind you, kadoom, it would be totally dark. And I would feel a little hand on my hip. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And I'd grab her by the hand and say, it's okay. It's, we're going right here. Just follow me. And I'd walk her through that dark room. And we'd get to the door and everything was fine. And so many times we, we get into that dark place and we are terrified because we don't see what's coming. We don't know what the future holds. We know God's got something for us supposedly, but we're not sure because we can't see it. And we start going, okay, God, where, where are you at? And God never goes, you faithless, come on, go toward, just walk, fall, just get going. What does he do? He says, here, take my hand, hear my voice. You're going to be just fine. Just walk with me. We're going to be okay. And he leads us through that. Our Heavenly Father is a gentle Father. He loves us. He's going to kick us in the rear sometimes when we need it, let's be honest. But He loves us. And He's going to walk us through that uncertainty, that fear, if we'll submit it to Him, if we'll trust Him and allow Him to do that. He will take it and walk through it with us. I love this passage in Exodus chapter 14. Uh, the children of Israel had come out of Egypt. And they had been celebrating. And they get to the Red Sea. And they realize that... Um, Pharaoh and his army are hot on their heels, and it probably doesn't look good for the children of Israel. And so they are trapped at the Red Sea, and they're wondering what's going to happen, and they are freaking out. And the Bible says freaking out. I'm just kidding, it doesn't. Um, but they are, they are a mess. And they start saying, why did we even leave? We should have stayed in Egypt. They start questioning leadership. They're, they're just, they're a mess. And this is what Moses says in Exodus chapter 14, verse 13. It says, and Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall, not see, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. 
One of the things that the children of Israel were saying is, uh, it was funny, they said, were there not enough graves in Egypt that we had to come out here to die? <laughs> like, that's just the pillar of faith right there, right? And Moses, I think he was a little frustrated. He said, you know what? Our Heavenly Father, God, is going to fight our battle for us. We don't have to fight our battle. God is going to fight our battle for us. All you have to do is be quiet. And if I can put a little inflection in there, I'm thinking if he was from the South, he'd say, you need to shut your mouth, Right? So what is our job? Our job is to faithfully do what God's asked us to do. And God's job is to fight our battle for us. We see this reaffirmed in Deuteronomy. We see it again that, that Moses says, hey, God is fighting our battle. Basically, our responsibility is to show up and be faithful. And God is fighting our battle for us. Did, did you hear what I said? God is fighting your battle for you. All you have to do is show up. And be faithful and do what God's asking you to do. Why do we have the reason to fear? We shouldn't because it's not even our fight. It's God's fight. It's like you have the benefit of having the big brother who's bigger than everybody else at the school. Because if you get in a fight, if somebody says, meet me at the, at the flagpole after school, guess what? My big brother's coming. And I'm not going to have to fight because he's going to whoop you, Right? I didn't have a big brother. I had a big sister. She still whooped me all the time. It wasn't fun. <laughs> the therapist said, I'll work through it in the next few years, but it's sad. <laughs> but he's our heavenly father, and he's going to fight our battles for us. He's going to fight your fight. There's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to fear, because he is fighting our battle for us. So we settle because of comfort. We settle because we're afraid, and we settle because of our commitment. Let me read this passage again. It's Numbers chapter 32. This is what it says in verse 11. Surely none of the men who came out of Egypt for 20, uh, from 20 years old and upward shall see the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, uh, to Isaac and to Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. That's, that's pretty hardcore. And God said, these guys will never see the promised land because they have not wholly followed me. And I think we live in a culture that likes to make Christianity so accessible and so easy that we just compartmentalize it and go, well, you know what, as long as you just love Jesus and it doesn't really matter how you live or what you do or, you know, if you just say this prayer, everything's fine, everything's good and your life will be perfect. And, but what would, you know, if you show up to church enough, then you're fine. Or if you just do this or if you just act this way, but God doesn't work like that. I said this a few weeks ago, but, but God is ruthless. He doesn't want to share you. He doesn't want a little part of you. He doesn't want, you know, a quarter of the pie or an eighth of the pie. He wants the whole pie. He wants you, your whole heart. And he doesn't want to share you with anybody. And because of that, he, he wants us to love him and to pursue him wholly with our whole heart, with everything we are. Because those guys were not fully committed, because they weren't wholly committed to God, into his purposes and plans for their life, they never saw the promised land. And I would venture to say that there are people in this room, because we're not wholly committed to God, we're never going to experience God's promise for our lives. And that's hard, and that's not very much fun to say and to talk about, but I think it's true. Your commitment level to God's promises for your life will determine if you walk in God's promises. If you're not committed, if you're not wholly committed to seeing growth in your life, it's not going to happen. If you're not wholly committed to, to 
God being the God of your life, it's not going to happen. The problem is the idea of ownership. We think our lives are our own, but they are not. As a Christian, the Bible says my life was purchased for a price, okay? So it's not my life anymore. It's God's life. So imagine if you had a rental property. Maybe some of you own rental properties. Imagine if you had a rental property and uh, you, had to, you had to evict somebody from that home. And so you, you go in there and they show up after you've evicted them and go, hey, hey, wait a second. No, no, no. You can't go in that room. Yeah, I can. This is my room. I go, no, that's my room. You can't go. No, that's, I own this place. I can go anywhere I want. See, we are renting space in our lives. We're not the owners. We are renters. We don't have the same rights of ownership that God has for our lives. So we can't dictate to him the areas that he gets and the areas that he doesn't get. Because if we do, we're not wholly committed to him. Does that make sense? This isn't fun preaching. I know it's probably not fun listening to that either, but it's true. If we're not willing to give him everything, if we're not all in, then what are we doing? If we're not fully committed, if we're not holy, if we won't wholly follow him, then it's not worth it. We have to be all in. Second Corinthians chapter one, um, worship team, you guys can come on up if you want to. Second uh, Corinthians chapter one, there's a passage of scripture that maybe you've heard before. Um, and the King James version, it, it says, um, all of God's promises are yes and amen. And I never really understood that. And so uh, even reading the, the English standard version, let me read this to you. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Now you might have heard that and thought, okay, that's great. I still don't follow what you're talking about. That's all right. Let me read the message. It says, whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. In him, this is what we preach and pray, the great amen, God's yes and our yes together, gloriously evident. God affirms us, making us a sure thing in Christ, putting his yes within us. By his spirit, he has stamped us with his eternal pledge, a sure beginning of what he is destined to complete. What this is saying is, if you've got a promise from God, the fulfillment of that promise is found in Jesus Christ. Maybe you are here and you say, I feel like God has said that our marriage is gonna get right. It's gonna be healthy, that we're gonna put some things back together. I feel like this is what God's saying to us. Man, I just don't know how to do it. This is gonna sound so cliche and so churchy, but I'm gonna say it anyway. The fulfillment of that promise is found in Jesus Christ. God's promise for you is found through the doorway of Jesus. You go, well, wait a second. I feel like God has promised me I'm going to have a a ski boat. Maybe that's not a God promise for your life. Maybe that's a you promise, right? But if God has deposited a promise in you and put one in front of you and said, this is where I've got you going. This is what I've got you doing. This is what I've got you to be a part of. The answer and the fulfillment of that promise is Jesus Christ. Now, it says in, in, in the old King James Version, it says, all of God's promises are yes and amen. But it talks about that a little here. But what it's saying is, in church, amen is it's such a churchy word. But in church, when we say amen, it doesn't just mean, and that's the end of the prayer, right? <laughs> like, that's what we think sometimes, the end. But that's not what it means. Amen 
it means so be it or let it be so. And when we say amen, what we're saying is I'm in agreement with that. I agree. And so when I say something, maybe it doesn't happen in our church as much as it does in other churches. And you are welcome to do this if you'd like. But sometimes when the pastor's preaching, you hear somebody say, amen. You know what he's saying? That person's saying, I agree with that. I'm in agreement with what that guy is saying. When we pray and you might hear somebody say amen besides just the person praying, what, what they're saying is I'm in agreement with that. I agree with that, God. Does that make sense? And so when, when it says that all God's promises are yes and amen, what it's really saying is when we say amen to God, we're coming into agreement with God. We're saying, God, I want what you want for my life. And so when we come into alignment and agreement with God, God's promises are right in front of us through the doorway of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? How does this work? We say, God, I want what you want more than what I want. We say, God, I'm not going to let laziness keep me from your promises. I'm not, not going to let my comfort keep me from your promises. I'm not going to let my fear keep me from your promises. I'm not going to let anything keep me from your promises. And then we pursue God 100%. There was a lady, and I read this story several years ago and had forgotten about it, but there's a lady named Florence May Chadwick. She was a, a competitive swimmer in the 50s. And she was the first woman to swim from England to France and then back to England. So she didn't do it in one trip, but she swam the English Channel both ways. She was the first person to do that. That's a long way. And she decided she wanted to be the first person to swim from Catalina Island off the coast of California to, to the California coast. It's about 26 miles. So she decided she was gonna do it in 1952. She set out on that journey. She got in the water, Catalina Island. She began swimming. It was a dangerous journey. There were shark-infested waters. Um, the, the, the tide at times could be treacherous. So there were boats on either side of her. And those boats would just go along with her. They'd watch for sharks. They'd make sure she got into trouble. They could rescue her if she needed it. And she would swim. Hour after hour after hour, she was swimming. And finally, about halfway through her journey, the fog set in. A heavy fog descended on her. And she couldn't see anything. But she kept swimming. She was starting to get tired. Her mom was in the boat next to her, and her mom just kept encouraging her, saying, don't give up, don't give up, you can do it, don't give up, don't give up. But finally, the, the, the dread of the situation, the, the elements, all the things kind of compounded on her, and she gave up. She said, I can't do it anymore, I need out. She gets out of the water, she's sitting in the boat, and she quit, but little did she know she was only about a mile from her destination. But the elements, the things around her got in her way, she couldn't, Remember really why she was doing what she was doing? And as a result, she stopped before she even got to where she was going. About two months later, you'll be happy to know she did complete that journey. Same situation happened though. She was swimming and that fog descended on her. And she was nervous. She was a little bit afraid, but she remembered her past experience and said, I'm not going to stop this time. I'm going to keep swimming. I'm going to make it through this. And she did. She didn't let the elements around her, the fear of her surroundings, keep her from getting to her goal. So many of us, we let the things we see around us keep us from God's promise for our life. Maybe we can't see where God is taking us exactly, and we get a little nervous and go, okay, God, count me out, I'm done. And we settle before we even get to God's best for our life. But little do we know that we might be one prayer away from God's promise for your life. You might be one good choice away from God's best for your life. You might be one day away from God's best for your life. 
But if you give up now, you'll never know that. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us. And thank you for loving me. And God, I am so unworthy of your love. And I am so unworthy of your mercy and grace in my life. But God, I thank you that you do have a purpose and plan, not just for me, but for every person in this room. But God, you have a divine promise. You have something incredible in store for us. But Lord, we cannot give up on the way to that promise. So God, I'm praying today that you just have your way with us. You'd soften our hearts. Let us respond to you in a way that would glorify you. God, have your way with us over these next few minutes. Now, if you would, keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. If you're here today, you say, Mel, um, you know, I, I don't really have a relationship with God. I don't really know him. I'm not walking with him. But man, today I need to establish a relationship with God. I need to get some things right with him. And I just want you to pray with me. Pray that, uh, that I can get some things right with God. If that's you, would you just put your hand up and say, pray for me? I need your prayer, Mel. Maybe you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm a Christian. I, I'm, I know I'm going to heaven. But man, I struggle with living out God's promises for my life. I know I'm settling and I don't want to settle anymore. I, I only want God's best. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get there. If that's you, would you say pray for me? Slip your hand up and let me pray with you. Thank you. A whole bunch of you. Let me pray with you right now. Lord, thank you so much that you are here among us today. That Father, no matter what we've brought into this place, no matter what kind of baggage we have, no matter what kind of hurt we might have from the week, Lord, I thank you that you are here and you're ready to move and minister in our lives. So God, I pray if there's fog in our lives, if there's things that are keeping us and preventing us from walking in your promises, God, I pray that, Lord, you wouldn't just remove obstacles, but Lord, remove us as an obstacle, Lord. Help us to see your promises differently than ever before. Lord, I pray that fear wouldn't cloud the way we see your promises. Lord, I pray that our comfort wouldn't keep us from walking in your promises. Lord, I pray that we would be wholly, fully committed to you. And we would follow you wholly in every part of our lives. God, I pray that we would not give up when we're moments away from experiencing your best for our lives. God, I pray that every person in this place would run with endurance and perseverance, that they wouldn't give up on your best for them. That, Father, they would experience your best. And as a result, their world would be changed, Father. The people around them, Lord, that their families would experience blessing and their lives would be changed because of what the individuals in this room are doing. So, God, I pray for every person that raised their hand. I pray that as they leave here today, they would leave with a renewed purpose and vision for what you want to do in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would not let us settle for anything less than your best. And, God, I repent of the times that I have, Lord, that I've settled for anything less than that. God, I refuse to do that anymore. Have your way with us, God. Be glorified through us in your name. Amen. Now listen, if you're here today and you prayed and, and you would like further prayer, there's a prayer card in that seat back in front of you. You can fill that out and drop it off in any of our offering boxes as you leave today. If you're watching online and you need prayer about something specific, email us at prayer at summittogether.com. Let us know about that. And we're going to agree with you in prayer. Uh, we pray over all of our prayer needs, all of our cards and all the emails every Tuesday in our staff meeting. We agree over every single one of those. So we take those very seriously. So let us know what your needs are. We want to agree with you in prayer today. If, if you prayed and, and today you made Jesus your savior, uh, fill that card out on the back. Let us know about that. We want to celebrate with you and help you take the next step as well. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go back into one more song of worship. The team's going to lead us. 
They're going to do a great job. These guys are awesome. They're going to lead us in one more song of worship. But I want you to pursue God within this song with everything you've got. And if you need prayer of any kind at all, our prayer team is going to be on either side of the stage. So come find us. Let us pray with you. We'll agree with you in prayer. And then just believe that God's best is, is right in front of you in store for you. So let's stand and let's worship God with one last song.